0: morning everybody Um, my name is Josh I'm uh, one of the elders here at Christchurch I'm going to speak a little bit about this passage if um, you want a a written copy of what I'm going to say just put your hand in the air and one of the stewards will um, bring you around a copy of that Um, and if you uh, don't manage to pick one up there are some over by the bibles before we begin uh, let me pray Our God and Father, we um, approach such a strange passage and we uh, recognize that we need your help to understand it. We do pray that as we look into your word today and as we see the vision that you gave John of uh, life on earth, we pray that it will change us. We pray that your spirit would um, speak by your word, that we would hear your voice and be changed. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> there is a door in heaven. And if you look through it, it will change you. If you look through the door into heaven, you'll see the be all and end all of existence, you'll see that everything that happens in your life and mine is all for God's glory. If you look through the door from heaven's side, you'll see earth, and you'll see it quite differently. You'll see the incredible security of God's people in the midst of awful pressure and injustice and suffering. There is a door in heaven, and if you look through it, it will change how you see your life, your circumstances, your purpose. Well, that's how we've been looking at Revelation over the last few weeks. We've seen visions of heaven and visions of earth. We've seen visions that tell us of a reality that we otherwise wouldn't have known about. The things we've seen, a lamb on a throne, a saved and sealed and worshipping crowd, these are all things that are present realities. We've not been teaching in Revelation so far um, many visions of the future. We've been understanding Revelation as uh, not a vision of what will happen, but a vision of what is happening now. So today, in Revelation chapter 11 we get an incredibly surprising and perhaps a bit unsettling vision of earth, earth today. Because we will learn as we look at Revelation 11 that into our world today, God is sending two witnesses with a mighty message. We meet these main characters at the start of today's passage, where they're described in verses 1 and 3 as worshippers and witnesses. So let me tell you the story of the worshippers and witnesses. And it all begins with one of these. A few weeks ago, uh, some men walk into our office, uh, the Christchurch office, and uh, they've got one of these machines. And they stand up in the middle of the room, and they push the button, and it starts to whir, and and starts to slowly turn, and the men walk out of the room. And then about two minutes later, the machine stops, and the men walk back in. Does that sound a bit weird to you? Uh, Well, it was a little bit strange to work in the office on that day, uh, but a bit of context will help. Uh, Some of you might know that we as a church are aiming to buy our own building and so um, we're in the process of selling the building where we have our office to raise funds for a new place and now these men who came into our office they are men who've come from the future owners this device is a 3d laser measurement device with the authority of the new owners they were sent to measure the building because plans are afoot to do some work, some changing, some rebuilding. In verse 1 of Revelation 11, if you have it there in front of you, you can follow on. In verse 1 of Revelation 11, John, uh, who's the man who's writing this, he's seeing a vision, he's given a 3D laser measurement device, known in the ancient world as a reed like a measuring rod. And like the men who came into our office, the fact that John is sent to measure the temple suggests that the owner intends to do some rebuilding. Maybe that doesn't jump out of you there from the passage, but every other time in the Bible that we find somebody measuring something, it's because there's an anticipation that something's being built. So I take it this strange little measuring exercise that you've got there in front of you in verses 1 and 2, that's showing us that God is building on earth today somewhere where his presence will specially live and where he will be worshipped on earth as in heaven. But verse 2, this place is going to be surrounded by opponents. In fact, God's opponents will be rampant. It says they're trampling on the city and on the world that belongs to God. And they do that for 42 months. Then in verse 3 of the story of worshippers and witnesses, the camera angle changes. But it's still showing the same event uh, where God has sent his presence and his, uh, his worshippers on earth and they're surrounded for 42 months. He's also appointed two witnesses to prophesy for 1,260 days. If you get your calculators out, you'll find that those two add up to the same length of time. It's three and a half years. Revelation does this a lot. You may have noticed earlier on when Morris read from Revelation chapter five um, that John was told that the lion of Judah was there. He turned and he saw a lamb. Two different descriptions, but it's the same reality. If you were here last week or you've listened to the sermon online, uh, we looked at Revelation seven where John heard A number of a multitude, 144,000. But when he looked in heaven, he saw it was a multitude no one could count. Uh, Revelation uses very often two different descriptions for the same reality. So I think because uh, this period of time is mentioned as 42 months and 1,260 days, it's the same reality, but the camera angle is changing is describing God's presence on earth, his worshippers now, as witnesses. And God is sending witnesses into the world today to prophesy. When Revelation uses the word witness, it doesn't normally mean a witness like somebody has seen something, like somebody who's witnessed a crime. It's more like a witness in the law court. They are there to give their testimony. A witness is a testifier, is a speaker. And verses 5 and 6 give us a spectacular picture of uh, what is happening to the witnesses that God is sending into the world today. It says in verses 5 and 6, if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. Verse 6, they have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they're prophesying. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. If I were to show you this hammer, uh, this is a powerful weapon that only one person can wield. Some of you will know straight away that I'm going to be talking about Thor. If I were to show you this vibranium shield it's indestructible and can also be used as a frisbee, some of you will know straight away that I'm talking about Captain America. If I showed you a bow and arrow, then some of you would think that I'm going to be talking about Legolas or about Hawkeye or about Robin Hood. For a church that is steeped in the Old Testament scriptures, when they hear about a reference to somebody who's got power to shut up the sky, they would immediately think of Elijah who is one of the great heroes in the Old Testament and a mighty prophet of God. The reference to somebody who's got the power to turn waters into blood and strike the earth with plagues. Well, that would immediately bring to mind Moses, another character in the Old Testament in the history of God's people who is a mighty, mighty prophet. Now, Revelation is telling us here in verses five and six some remarkable news if it's telling us about what's happening on earth today. It's telling us that God is sending into our world today two witnesses with power like Moses and Elijah. Wow, fasten your seatbelts. Let's be on the lookout. But their story turns gruesome in verse 7 when they're finally silenced by a satanic beast and their corpses lie dead in the streets while the world who has rejected their message, throws a party. But Then look in verse 11. The witnesses God is sending into our world today won't stay dead. They're raised to life, vindicated, and taken to heaven. The story of the worshippers and witnesses began in verse 1 in the temple, and those in the temple were worshipping God, but because of the testimony of the witnesses, their vindication, and God's judgment on those who opposed them, it means the story ends with worship of God happening, well, even from those who've hated him. The worshippers and the witnesses. That's their story. It's a stunning picture. (sighs) What's it all about? Am I really saying, am I really saying that God is sending today into our world two witnesses uh, who have got the power like the greatest of all of God's prophets and uh, they're going to be killed, they're going to be they're going to rise again and uh, God's enemies are going to be destroyed in an earthquake. Is that really what I'm saying? And am I really saying that this event is happening in our world today? Or believe it or not? Yes. Because do you know who the witnesses are? It's you. It's Christ Church, Liverpool. It's Beechwood Chapel. It's Trinity Church, Everton. It's City Church, Manchester. It's the seven churches who were the churches who received this letter for the first time. The churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and all the rest. It's all churches at all times. So if you're part of a church today, then you're part of the temple that God is building on earth, where his presence will specially live, and the place where God is worshipped. If you're part of a church today, then you have been placed on earth as one of God's witnesses, as one of his speakers, his testifiers. Well, throughout this series in Revelation, we've been looking through the door, and we've always asked the question, what's that? through the door, got to do with this? What's the fact that the Bible says that you are placed on earth as one of God's witnesses? What's that got to do with your life today and the things you're going to do this week? Well, I want to return to the story, and I want to pick out one, two, three things in this passage that teach What it means that we are God's witnesses. One, one thousand, two hundred and sixty days. What this has got to do with us is that it tells us that our mission is short. Let's go back into the story of the worshippers and witnesses. In verse two, God's temple with its worshippers, they're surrounded
1: by those who are not
0: God's people. Uh, That's what the phrase of Gentiles means. Uh, they, the holy city is trampled for 42 months. And in verse 3, God's witnesses prophesy for 1,260 days. Maybe this passage comes across as a bit weird. But don't you think it really does speak the truth about the church today when it teaches us that there's a period of time when God's worshippers are in the midst of a world of opposition And at the same time, God's witnesses have an important message to speak. Um, uh, When I used to live with my parents, um, it was in North Wales, and I used to sometimes go and watch my hometown football club, um, Wrexham, go and play.
1: I remember one time when I went to
0: go and see them, it was the last match of the season, Wrexham were top of the league, and all they needed to do was draw in order to win the league. Um, The game was drawing to a close only, A minute or so left, and Wrexham were comfortably winning. And on the tannoy, they had a very important message. They said, after the final whistle goes, we should all stay in our seats. And they wanted to give us a reminder that it's an offence to trespass onto the field of play. Now, as the final whistle drew ever closer and people started moving down the stands towards the side of the pitch, the stewards were stood at the side again repeating the important message that it's an offence to go onto the field of play. Well, the final whistle. The very important message was completely disregarded and fans from all sides of the ground poured onto the pitch to celebrate with the players. Uh, I took a little memento, a little bit of grass from the pitch, which I still have. Um, <laughs> I've got a cup somewhere with hay in it. It's a bit weird. Um, you might feel that being called to be God's witness in the world is like being called to be a football ground steward. You know that the message of the gospel is true. You know that the message of the gospel is very important. But every day, you meet people who are not only not interested in it, but they also actively oppose it and try to discredit it. If you feel like that, then let me say there's a significance in these numbers the 42 months, and the 1,260 days. In Revelation language, we've often come across the number seven, and the middle part of the book of Revelation is split into uh, a vision in four parts. Each is a a set of seven. We have seven seals, seven trumpets, seven signs, and seven bowls, and uh, we've explained Revelation in the past as saying that those seven symbols each time represent human history from Jesus' first coming to his second coming. So it's significant that 42 months, or 1,260 days, adds up to three and a half years. It's half of seven. I think it's saying that this period of time when God's people are opposed, this period of time when the witnesses are speaking their important message, is not a full era (laughs) Uh, The evil in the world doesn't have dominion for a full length of time. It's a curtailed period of time. That's not to say it's literally half of the time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And it's not to say that it'll feel short. But what it is saying is that in the grand scheme of God's plan, from eternity past to eternity future, we today live in a very small window of time where we are placed on earth to be God's witnesses. And that's how Revelation teaches you to view your life right now. If you feel like a football steward, you live in a world that cares nothing for the Christian message, if speaking about Jesus to your non-Christian friends and colleagues just sounds like the last thing on earth you'd want to do, well, when you get to see earth, through heaven's door, you'll realize that this opposition and discouragement is only for a short time. It's not your final destiny. It's not where you'll spend eternity. It is a brief window. But let me say that these 1,260 days also should give us a sense of urgency because you don't know when these short days will come to an end. You don't know when the opportunity for others to hear a message about Jesus will come to a close. Think about the people in your life who don't know Jesus. Do you know how many more days they're going to get for them to be able to hear the good news about Jesus? Can you afford to bide your time and keep quiet? Well, look, I'm just like a lot of you here. I, I don't like the hard sell, urgent evangelism sermon uh, any more than the next guy. But these 1,260 days have got to make us take seriously that the time that we have to be God's witnesses is short. So this passage tells us 1,260 days that our mission is short. Uh, But it sends us out as God's witnesses with great confidence because two, two olive trees show us that our message is mighty. Verse four is strange, isn't it? They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands and they stand before the Lord of the earth. (coughs) But the thing that connects an olive tree and a lampstand is oil. The oil that the olives produce is the fuel that the lamps need to stay lit. The image of an olive tree next to a lampstand is the image of a gas canister next to a barbecue. It's the image of a petrol pump next to a car. The image of a phone charger next to a phone. The image is of a constant supply of fuel. And this image Uh, is taken straight from a part, an earlier book of the Bible, which is called Zechariah. The man Zechariah, he also had a vision. It was very, very similar to John's vision. And he saw uh, two olive trees and a lampstand. And in Zechariah's vision, he is given this message to preach. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. If the church is God's witness on earth, then Revelation 11 teaches you that you are sent to witness with a constant supply of God's Holy Spirit. And verses 5 and 6 should fill you with confidence that through the Spirit, God's church, Christ Church Liverpool, is empowered every bit as much as the great prophets in uh, God's history. See, through the lens of your own eyes, you might look outside at the world, uh, the challenges that it uh, provides, the the opposition you face, and then you look at the people sitting next to you here today, and you think, what a weird bunch of messed up people we are. Why do I even bother? What difference are we going to make in the world? And if you don't feel like that, the person sitting next to you probably is. But if you get to see through the lens of revelation, if you see through the door, you'll see that here in this room are God's spirit-supplied witnesses, his mouthpiece in the world. This is God's plan for reaching lost people. And we have a mighty testimony that can't be opposed. Isn't it wonderful that God gave us this letter of revelation so that we could see that? If the 1,260 days makes our witness urgent, the two olive trees makes our witness bold. (coughs) Maureen was a 16-year-old Christian, and she... Uh, only really took her faith seriously on a Sunday. The rest of the week, she blended in with the crowd. But in some small way, Maureen had grasped that she was God's spirit-filled witness to her class. And one day, she took the bold step of telling her best friend that she was a Christian. Now, Maureen didn't have a slick gospel presentation. Maureen didn't have all the answers to her friend's questions. But she had God's spirit. And God's spirit worked a mighty work in Maureen's friend. Not by Maureen's powers of persuasion, not by Maureen's clever arguments, not by might, not by power, but by God's spirit. Maureen's friend became a Christian And I thank God that Maureen was bold enough in the power of the Spirit to take that step of telling her friend that she was a Christian, because Maureen's friend was my mum. As God's witnesses to the world, you're not called to have all of the answers, or you're not called to sound impressive, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit. These two olive trees show us that our message is mighty. So be bold. (coughs) And three, three and a half days show us that our weakness is God's victory. If what you've heard so far makes it sound like being God's witness is encouragement, encouragement. And success, sunshine and roses, Uh, then look away now because things get ugly for God's witnesses. In verse 5 of the story of the worshippers and witnesses, their message can't be opposed. But there comes a time in verses 7 to 10 where the witnesses are attacked. They are killed. Their bodies lie uh, undignified, unburied in the street, And the world which hated their testimony gloats over them. The stark reality for God's witnesses and for some of the churches who were the first people to receive this letter, well, the stark reality for them is that their testimony will get them killed. It's going to seem like their witness was fruitless. I mean, those who heard their message didn't turn and respond in faith. They threw a party (laughs) when they'd silenced God's voice on earth. Part of the deal of being God's witness on earth is that it's going to seem like you're a failure. But is it any wonder that the pattern for God's witnesses is the pattern of those they testify about? Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, we saw this three weeks ago, it describes Jesus as Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Our testimony, our message, is a message all about Jesus. He was God's true presence, his true temple on earth. He testified mightily with great signs and wonders, and he testified faithfully. He testified about God, his Father. He testified that he was the only way to be brought to God the Father. And as he testified, he offered love and grace and kindness. As a faithful witness, he came not to be served, but to serve. And the world hated him. He testified that his body was given for us. He testified that his blood was shed for us. And so for us... He submitted to his father's will and was crucified. The one that we testify to seemed to die a failure, a mockery, a disgrace. But God is a God who turns weakness and defeat into victory. Jesus' death wasn't a failure. Jesus' death was a victory because three days later, God raised him from the dead he proved that witness to be true, and he, uh, Jesus would later ascend to heaven with the clouds. Revelation chapter 12, the very next chapter, gives us another perspective on Jesus' victory when he seemed like a failure. It says, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the accuser is Satan, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. God's victory over evil and Satan is accomplished finally and definitively by the blood of the Lamb. That moment of apparent failure and weakness when Jesus hung dead on a cross was the moment of victory. And these verses in Revelation 12 show us that God's witnesses get to participate in that victory. It says that God's witnesses triumph by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, even though for for some of them they've looked like a failure as they've died for what they've testified to. See, God gives his witnesses a part in Jesus' victory when we keep testifying to him no matter what. No matter our failures, no matter our defeat, no matter our weaknesses, if we keep our testimony faithful to Jesus, God gives us a part in that victory. And that's what Revelation 11 shows us there in verses 11 and 12. Jesus' victory, his resurrection, his access to heaven is all ours if our trust is in him, if he is our testimony. So Revelation 11 has shown us that 1,260 days show us that our mission is short. We've seen that Two olive trees show us that our message is mighty. And three and a half days show how God's victory is won, even in our weakness and defeat. I hope that looking through the door today has changed you. I hope that looking through the door has given you a different perspective on your purpose as God's witness on earth, and I hope that looking through the door has spurred you on, as God's witnesses on earth, with urgency and boldness and confidence. I want to finish this morning by worshiping God as we testify together and as we declare together the things that we are witnessing. Too on the screen is going to be a historic creed of the church. It's it's our witness testimony, if you like. And we're going to worship by testifying these words together, and then we'll sing after that. So stand with me, and let's say aloud, if, the, if you believe these words, let's say this aloud. <clears throat> we believe in the one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen,